0: Log Talk Radio. This is all about wine, about wine. A talk show dedicated to the wine industry oh. since 2009. Oh. Featuring winemaker, sommelier, vinegarist, and tasting and expert, Ron.
1: Ron. Basically what we're trying to do in this program is <laughs> just trying to educate people and trying mm-hmm. to make wine less confusing and more friendly. more friendly from coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that.
0: Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook
1: page at
0: www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwine.vcr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwine.vcr. All about wine is on. Yeah. Here's Ron. Yeah. Was it Evian? Evian?
1: Evian? 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 Evian?
0: Evian? water? Avian? Evian? Was, was that
1: Evian? the
0: first one? Uh, Evian? I B-G. think maybe um, Avian. That's what you said. E V I A N. Let me see. There's just a- water. E V I A N. Avian. History. Uh, blah blah blah. Uh, New Zealand.
1: Yeah, I you know there was one that. You know, took the world by storm at the beginning there and then then uh everybody else started copy it, but that was that was one of the first ones. I can't think um, I, you know, was it a Evian? history Avion's watch backwards? Perrier. That's the I think one. that's one of the yeah, I think Perrier was one of the first ones that came out. I think that was the one. Perrier. I'm, I'm, I, they may still sell it. I never see it, but, but oh, wow. very. Wow! The even.
0: first, the first commercially distributed water in America was bottled and sold by Jackson Spa, in Boston in 1767. <laughs> that are you going back uh, that far? Cause I,
1: <laughs> I don't. I know. I don't. Don't think that's what I was thinking of. But you know, maybe. Wow. Uh
0: I didn't wow. realize it's going on.
1: I huh. didn't know bottled water was around that long, and that was true. Bottles there, they they weren't throwing away the plastic. That was bottles oh, yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: You could uh-huh. throw that at somebody. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. see anything.
1: Uh... I think it was Perrier. I, I, I think that's what I was thinking <laughs> of because Perrier was all over the place. That was the one, and yeah. I never got it because I kind of say because it was expensive when it first came out, and. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was in bottles too it wasn't in plastic it was actually bottles and yeah mm-hmm. it's like the pellegrino or is that that's what it's called uh, uh that's still in bottles too they advertise that on tv but we're this yeah, is all so about wine right. we were just talking about bottled oh. waters here and and the whole uh <laughs> the whole multi-billion dollar business of bottled water and what it involves and everything and before the show, yeah. and we just bled over onto the show, trying to think of the first one. But I think Perrier was what I was trying to think of uh, on that as the first yeah, one that like really.
0: Is, yeah, it's been around yeah. for a long time too. It says the 19th century. It's been going. It's been going ball- so, uh, yeah. So wow,
1: yeah, Perrier. Well, yeah, Yeah. I think that took America by storm. And then everybody says, wow, if they can just sell water, we could do it too. And so, (laughs) yeah, everybody else started to sell water also. And now you can get all sorts of different waters and flavors and all sorts of different stuff on there. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, I guess, I, I don't know, they may have competition on that stuff too. I don't know about bottled water. They could have a you know, competition of who's the best and compare, you know, this flavored water. I have a strawberry bottled water here. And so they have to have all the strawberry bottled waters and compete against it. And they have a person who uh, is a sommelier of bottled water. And, yeah. You know, speaking like
0: of people, it's not like, it's not like wine where you have to ferment water for, you know, or age it. I mean, what's, no. what's water going to do?
1: Just pull it <laughs> out of the ground. That's all you do. You know, that's, that's about yeah. it. Like it. here, Zephyr Hills. Zephyr Hills is what? Uh, 45 minutes, an hour away from us, the plant where they do it in the, in the mm-hmm. spring, like 45 minutes, yeah. an hour from where I live. And, you know, I mean, it's just like, it's all guarded. The, the, the spring is all guarded and everything. And, you know, I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, you can't get my water. It's Zephyr Hills water. And, you know, well, yeah well,
0: Oh, well. It's a secret, secret ingredient. It's, it's
1: uh, a secret ingredient, yes. Have regarded. Have uh, regarded. Water. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the show. Uh, yeah, Thursday
0: welcome May
1: to the Yeah, there you go. Thursday, May 3rd. Today's my anniversary, by the way. I, You know, my wife and I are oh. celebrating. I think... Thank you wow. i, I, I you know, how many years I don't know how many years, and did this she oh no, everybody's happy thank you there you go much better thank you um, I don't know how many years we we always we always forget uh, I mean, we lived together for a few years before we actually got married and and so you know people say, how many years, and we just throw out a number because people are happy to hear the number, but we're not really sure i I think. I want to say 24 years and, but we were together for like four or five years before then, but, but uh, we got married on Friday the 13th. So next year it's actually going to be Friday the 13th for us. Um, we wow. chose, that, chose that date because if something ever happened, we can always blame it on the date. So um,
0: but, <laughs> well, happy anniversary so, to both of you. And Thank you. Mm-hmm.
1: And engineer, generic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, uh, uh, we didn't go out didn't do anything. Although I went out and got a big barbecue dinner for us last night, brought it home. And that was our, our big anniversary meal. So, uh, speaking of, I started a segue into the show when we were talking about water there, about what are you going to do? You know, I have, you know, People taste water and have uh, taste it. And I received something that I think y'all might find a little bit interesting. This is the Atlantic Seaboard Wine Association. It's located in Burke, Virginia. And they are having their 16th Atlantic Seaboard Wine Association wine competition. Coming up on August 14th and 15th of this year. Be held at the Marriott Tyson's. Corner, Tyson's Corner, Virginia, which I guess Tyson's Corner is the name of the town there in Virginia. But it says we're back, and it goes on to say they survived last year and all that stuff. And the Atlantic Seaboard Wine Association, or ASWA, wine competition is scheduled for Saturday and Sunday, August 14th and 15th. But I thought you might find it interesting. What... The rules are on one of these competitions. Now, every time we talk to a winery, I always tend to forget to ask them if they have any any trophies, any ribbons, any awards. And Mike always remembers, which I appreciate that because I would have forget I forget every time. But he always remembers and asks them, and and some of them do have awards and stuff like that, which is really cool. But I me Let me go through this list of qualification, guidelines, and registration. Now, this is just one competition. This is the basic one. This is what you're going to find in almost all of them, uh, stuff like this. And this is how they break it down, and this is what they do. So you can apply this to just about anybody else. But the first one, the states that qualify for this competition are the East Coast of the United States. Basically, it's from Maine all the way down to Florida, and it includes, uh, but pretty much all the East Coast, including Pennsylvania and, uh, you know, Vermont, South Carolina, North Carolina, all that. Number two for grape wines, a varietal wine must contain at least seventy-five percent of that grape. Blending of non-varietal category grapes is permitted, but not to exceed 25% of the total blend. Interspecific blending is permitted, but must be entered in the proper category. And entries above 4% residual sugar are considered sweet and are to be entered in the appropriate category. All non-grape-based wines must be in in the appropriate category. So there you get all sorts of categories there you start with. Three, all fruit, juice, grapes, honey, fruit, whatever, must originate within the 17-state region described. Wines made from sources imported from outside of the 17-state region are not allowed. And this is because it's an East Coast competition. When you get the big ones that include the whole country or the ones that include the world, they have some minor restrictions on those also. An unlimited number of entries is allowed. Wineries may enter more than one wine per classification category. And I've told you this before, but this is, it says here, each entry will consist of three 750 milliliter bottles submitted for evaluation. Okay, so that's three three regular sized bottles. In the case of wines in the 375 milliliter, which is half that size, four bottles will be required. Wines bottled in the 500 bottle or 500 mill bottles require three. Registration fees are sixty dollars per entry. So it says you can enter as many as you want in every category, but it's going to cost you sixty dollars every time you do it. Pre-registration is mandatory to register, fill out the form, and they they got the form here, and then submit a check to ASWA. And payment must be made and the check's cleared or whatever before they accept the entries. And uh, registration should be received prior to the shipment, so don't send your check with your wines. Send your check and then send your wines. Be sure to give the alcohol level of the wine on the application form. Please copy the blank forms if you want want more copies. And you can see the website, asawines.org. Number six, all wines will be judged according to the relative merits within their category using a modified Davis 20-point system. That's University of California at Davis, and they use a 20-point system. There will be bronze, silver, gold medal awards along with best of category. Also, a Best of Show winner will be determined. This wine will be clearly superior in its category and have an analogical excellence that surpasses all other wines in the competition. That's a tough one to win. If we ever talk to a winery that says that they have a Best in Show, then we need to, you know, uh, acknowledge their excellence on that because that's a tough category. Number seven is the responsibility of the entrants to ship or deliver their entry wines in good conditions. And then they show they have an address here which they actually need to go to. It's not a P.O. box. It's an actual address. A copy of the registration from previously submitted with the fee should accompany the wine shipment in order to avoid possible errors. So you make a copy of your of your uh, original submitment and then put it in the box. And then you mark it. Okay. These are just rules, and this applies to just about every single wine competition you do. Number eight, please forward us the tracking number of the shipped wines so that we can ensure proper delivery. And it goes on to say we have found that some recently shipped packages are possibly not attempted to be delivered or door tags left. Hence, after a period of time, the packages are returned to sender, and you've lost your $60. Nine, all entries must arrive at wine traditions limited no later than August 7th. And the competition, again, is the 24th and 25th. After that date, they are not eligible. Number 10, all entered wines must be available for sale to the general public by their producing winery. Experimental lots of wine and Not permitted. And a lot of wineries do experimental lots. I used to do them every once in a while and do a little small batch to see what it tastes like. And and it says, ooh, this is great. But you're not allowed to submit those to competition. Eleven, it is planned to conduct the presentation of Best of Show and Best Category Awards on Capitol Hill in the fall following the competition. This will be under the auspices of the Congressional Wine Caucus. Congressional Wine Caucus. The winning wineries will be invited to receive their awards from their, repre- uh, from their respective congressional state representatives. A tasting of award-winning wines will follow the award presentation. Media releases of all winning wines will be made immediately following the competition. So they got a pretty good awards there, going up to Capitol Hill and doing that. Twelve. The remaining wines after the competition will be poured in various public marketing and educational programs throughout the year. So, no, you don't get them back. If they only open one bottle and use that and pour that, the other two bottles are then used for various public marketing and educational programs, as they say any time to the year. Number 13, by placing an entry into the competition, it ensures that all the above criteria are met for that wine. And that's it. Those are the rules. Those are the rules for this particular competition, not unusual for almost all of them. Some have a few extra lines in it that tell you, you know, we want you to do this, we want you to do that. <laughs> Excuse me. But basically, that is the rules. Now, there is also included entry form. And you can, go well, on there's about six entries on this form. And you can run copies of it. and. And as many as you want, $60 for each one of these that you fill out. So if you fill out one whole page, you're looking at $360. And uh, if you want more, you may do so. The criteria are the categories and descriptions are really quite varied, I guess is another, is the best word for it. The 100 category, Sparkling Vinifera Wines, is category 100. 120, Sauvignon Blanc, 130, Sardonnay, 140, Reverse Terminator. 150, Riesing, 160, voignet, 170, Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio, 175, Petite, Mensing, 180, White, Vinif- uh, White Vinifera Blends, 185, Aberfino, or Aberino, I, it's, it's not an F. And 190, all other white vinifera varietals, like Verdillo, Similion, Chenin-Block, and all those. So, you know, I mean, that's just just whites. they got all those. Uh, Vinifera blush or rosé wines is category 200. And then you've got a whole bunch of red possibilities here. Uh, and blends. Then you've got sparkling hybrid Native American wines, and that's part of that white muscadine and scuppernong, East Coast of the United States. You got to have that category. White hybrid Native American blends, other white hybrid Native American varietals, uh, blush, rosé, Native American white inter. inter- specific blends, red inter blends, concord is a category, Norton, red muscadine or um, all of those. Then you've got berry wine, strawberry, raspberry, elderberry, etc. Palm fruit, apple, pear, etc. Stone fruit, cherry, peach, plum, other wine fruit, melon, citrus, traditional mead, flavored mead, cider, and peri. Then your sweet categories, uh, the sweet white vinifera, sweet white hybrids, sweet white insert specific, uh sweet blush, sugar above 4%. All these are above 4% residual sugar. And then at the end, fortified wines and last, port-styled wines. So there's a whole list of them here which pretty much covers the – Gamut of wines that you're going to find here on the East Coast of the United States, but those—that is what uh, wine competition. When you do one, that's what it starts. That's where you start doing something like this. You fill out all this stuff. You pick out what wine you want. You get your bottles. You ship. You ship them a check. You get the okay from the check. Then you package up your wine and you ship it to them and say goodbye because if they don't use it, they will, so you're not going to see it back. California, uh, California Florida State Fair, and almost every state has a wine competition. I, I never checked into it, but from what I've talked to people on that over the years, every state has a wine competition, and Florida does too. You can get your wines there. If you want to drive and pick up your wines afterwards, when you send them in for the competition, you can note, you know, I will pick up what is not used. Now, I think it's five bottles you have to enter, so it's almost worth going down and picking them up. Excuse me. I'm over my code. This is just sinus cough I got now. So... Florida, you can pick up your unused wines, and some areas you can just say, do whatever you want and all that, but that's interesting. I'm going to have to check and see if all state fairs have a wine competition. Hmm. Let me make myself a note of that, because I could probably look it up online. Do all state
0: fairs have
1: a wine judging. Alright, I'll look that up. Um, so, that's a competition. That's what people go to or go through just to get it entered and then it's a matter of if they win the category or whatever. Sometimes there's only one in the category so they win by default. But a lot of times you'd be surprised how many of these strange and odd categories have numerous entries. Florida State Fair does. That's what I'm based on. Bacardi. I'm um, saying this not because it's wine, but because of the fact that they are starting to use biodegradable bottles. Yay for them. I just read somewhere the other day where Coke is starting to use paper biodegradable bottles. Bacardi is using this. It's uh, and well doing their thing to help the environment, which is good for them. Uh, these will start coming in Bombay Sapphire Gin, Grey Goose Vodka, and Patron Tequila, Martini, uh, Martini Vermouth, and Dewar's Scotch. Barkini uh, Rome will be the first to convert to the p h a models that's what they're they're called p h a bottles so yay for Bacardi, I think that's great and i if it works and if we start seeing them and if there's no complaints which eventually they do get complaints but if there's no complaints i'm would not be surprised if we start seeing a lot of other products that including wine in these types of bottles. They uh, look like cans almost. But if they can continue to hold the product and hold it well without any flavor transformation or anything, then we very possibly may start seeing wine bottles in that in the future. Who knows? Environmental-friendly. They're already starting to do other stuff, and shipping costs and everything for bottles is expensive, so that's always an issue. Got a few things to talk to you about now. Uh, Is this it? No, this isn't the one I want. I'm in the wrong spot here. Here I am. A few things to talk to you about here today. It is, let's see, where are we? what I want, no, that's what I want all right uh the uh, uh world's most wanted champagne the world's most wanted champagnes uh, I think they have a list, yeah, don't carry on. Number one, Dom Perignon. If you've never had a bottle of Dom Perignon, you deserve to have at least one. It's expensive, $215, the average price of it. You can find it below $200 if you look around. Uh, Amazon, I guess, is starting to deliver that stuff now, so you can check there. Uh, Louis Roder, uh Crystal Melissemi Brut, number two. Krug vintage Brut, number three. Then uh, you've got, let's see, two more French. Uh, Bollinger is on the list. Uh, Domperion rosé is on the list. Now that's $381, which I can't understand why that's so expensive because you can get rosé very easy because they use red grapes. Uh Moet and Chandon is on the list. That is a good champagne. It's scored $91 and it is, or 91. And it's only $74. So if you're looking for a good top 10 Chardonnay what Chandon Grand Vintage Brut, less than $100. Uh, and you can taste the difference between a cheap champagne or a Prosecco or something like that and a good pain. You know, just like you can taste the difference between a, a, a hamburger... Uh, it's a regular 99-cent hamburger at and McDonald's and a, and a Big Mac hamburger at McDonald's. There is a difference. I mean, the little stuff that's added to it that it does make a difference, and it does make a difference. Uh, let's see, plus world, plus women, and that's one, Oh, okay. Before I read that, I need to jump back to this because that is a continuation of this one oh, no nope, that's a continuation of this one counterfeit we have talked about counterfeit wines before and yeah i suppose you can counterfeit anything and there's always a market in counterfeiting if you you've got a little bit of money to be able to do it decently then you know you can make yourself a lot of money and that's how counterfeiting works Whenever you think about counterfeiting wine though, if you follow the wine business at all or anything, Rudy uh, Kurniawan, Kurniawan, K-U-R-N-I-A-W-N, was the first person arrested for counterfeiting wine. And he was released from federal prison on November 6, 2020. So just a short period ago. Served seven years behind bars. As a counterfeiter here in the United States, actually uh you know who who would know but he was just recently released and waiting for deportation, and they did that. I'll talk you know a little bit about his deportation they They did deport him, but they're afraid that he's going to be back into the wine business. He sold millions of dollars of fake bottles between 2004 and 2012, and most of that through auction houses, and Condit alone sold $35 million worth of his bottles in just two auctions. Since Rudy has done his wine fraud, it's on everybody's uh, radar now. Everybody's looking for wine fraud. And they're saying, okay, we need to keep an eye on these bottles. We need to see what we can do and all that stuff. Well, this article here brought up a good point. They it said it's not Okay. Recent reports around the globe demonstrate that fraud is more pervasive in industry than people realize. And many of it's on a small scale. Pinfold out of Australia, Jacobs Creek, even a counterfeit whiskey ring recently uncovered in real fake bottles are produced and being sold around the world. And with the pandemic-fueled uptick with online sales, of fine wines, it is running rampant simply because people don't know what they're getting. They have to trust whoever they're ordering is through. That's why it's important to order through a, well, wine if you can. Actually, that's really the best way to do it. Uh, Atlanta-based director, senior director of fine wine, fine and rare wines for heritage auctions says it is not limited to romanticized ideas of a person who could whip out Van Gogh's without anyone knowing the difference. It's often not that. There's an enormous amount of fraud at the lower level and it's not a sexy thing, and it's not Hollywood. It is just being done, and it's, people are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on fake bottles of wines like Jacob's Creek, which is an Australian producer whose bottles typically resell for under $15. Now you think, well, I'm not going to buy myself a $300 bottle of, of French Cabernet so I'm safe at buying myself a fifteen dollar bottle of Jacobs Creek. Yeah. Until you get a wine and you open it up and it's really like a two buck chuck and you're paying something that you've enjoyed and you had and here you are in wine fraud again. The people who sold it to you based on the two buck chuck just made themselves, you know, ten, eleven dollars profit. And that's just one bottle. You start multiplying that by what's available out there. And oh, my gosh, it's lots of money. Uh, Martel, this one I just told you about, has encountered some fakes associated with Rodenstock in the late 1980s. But now he says his questionable bottles he sees are sort of low-grade fakes of wines from the 50s with brand new labels or corks. And he said that immediately raises a flag. Counterfeit wines get a lot of flashy headlines, but there are countless other ways people can make money off of unsuspecting collectors and people. Uh, 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 we got Maureen Downey, who is a founder of Che Consulting and WineFraud.com, which might be an interesting site to look up there, WineFraud.com. She also served as the FBI's key expert witness in the Karenian uh, Karenian One discovery, and she points to how wine fraud is running rampant on the Internet now because of all the different investment schemes and misrepresentation. Different variety, different blends, different origins, or different vintage. If you're paying for something... You expect it to be what it is, and it's not. She says that wine fraud is a $3 billion industry yearly. Three? Think about that. Oh, my gosh, that's unbelievable amount. Now, maybe on the scales that we are going to come across it, maybe on the scales that we will see it, we're not going to have to worry. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. We're not going to have to worry too much about a whole lot, but it doesn't when you you want to get a wine that you know you like and you know you enjoy then you're going to want that to, to be what you ordered and not something else I mean if you're going to spend two dollars for a bottle of wine, you're going to get a two dollar bottle of wine if you like a fifteen dollar bottle of Uh, Pentold or any of the others than Jacob's Creek, whatever, you're going to expect that because you've had it and if it's not so buyer beware is really what they're saying. You have to watch and you have to know. You have to know history. You have to know where these wines are coming from. You have to know who's selling them. When you jump on Amazon and buy yourself a case of wine from Amazon. I don't know. Is Amazon allowing wine sales yet or not? They keep talking about it, but I don't know if they are officially or not. But if you buy yourself a case of wine from Amazon, where's Amazon getting it? What What is their source? Who is that wine coming from? Are they just got a whole bunch of different places that they know of? And if you order a case of something, then they contact and say, okay, we need a case of such and such and somebody says, Well here I have it, you know, for this much. Okay. That's good for us. We'll make a little profit off of a ship but it might not be really really the stuff. So you need to beware. Buyer beware. This is really number one rule in almost everything. And especially when it comes to wine. If you're going to get any wine, then Know that it is from a reputable place. Uh, Good examples here. Uh, Downey has amazed a proprietary database with uh, watermarks and ink colors and paper styles and artwork. And things as simple as the sheep on the Monton label. Does it have an extra curl in its fleece? All this stuff. And they use UV lights to detect the adhesive and the paper fibers and the labels, knowing that certain fibers were not used until a certain period of time. And they also try to detect the uh, ultra-white, which is a paper component introduced in 1957. So if the bottle was before then and it shows the uh, ultra-white, then it's a fake. Uh, labels are scuffed and aged with things like tobacco, coffee, and tea as staining agents. So smell the labels if you're getting something that's older and you're, you're spending it. Look for fine lines on printing. You know, plate printing is going to be sharp fine lines, whereas dot matrix is a little bit fuzzy uh, splatter type lines all this stuff comes into play and that's, you know, if you're going to get expensive wines again, get it through a biller, but now because of all the online stuff know your source when you get any wine. If you're buying them directly from a wine shop, that's cool because they will probably stand behind it if for any reason it's bad, but Begin in places like Amazon. I'm sure Amazon probably has their same liberal return policy, but you know that's a hassle. Just it's three billion dollars a year. Wow! Be careful that you're not part of that three billion dollars a year is what I'm saying in any any of the ones. And the. Is that the one-on-one is that the one-on-one? Uh, yeah, here we go. U.S. authorities deport wine counterfeiter Rudy Koneon. Uh, According to Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the man known as Dr. Conti was flown to Indonesia on April 8th. What he's going to be doing next, no one knows. He has not been banned from wine, which is odd. Uh, December 18, twenty thirteen, is when he was pronounced guilty for selling uh, counterfeit wines. But you know, who's what's he going to do now? We we don't know, and he doesn't know, and he just sort of like disappeared. But you know, if he's working some other scam, he can change the name, or he can work through someone, or anything else. So it's sad. He's one that we know about, but there's so many others. But he's no longer in this country. He has been, he has been shipped away back to Indonesia, where he's originally from. Okay. Uh, oh, here we go. A couple of things here. Glassy wing sharpshooter, Pierce disease. We've talked about this for 11 years now. 12 years now, almost 12 years now. We're going on 12 years. Glassy wing sharpshooter, little bug that is located in the southeast United States that's really bad. This is one of the reasons why we have so much trouble growing grapes down here in the southeast. And it's warm, and so it doesn't die in the, in the cold weathers because it doesn't get cold enough. And now California's worried. Uh, warmer winters. The colder climates are not as severe as they used to be in California. They're getting cold weather, but it's not hanging on for a few days like it used to. In Central Valley, Northern California, and all that, it is staying warmer longer. And because of that, we're starting to get an outbreak of Pierce disease in California. It says sometime around 1990, an exotic winged menace arrived in Southern California. No one knows exactly when or how it got there. Probably from eggs stuck to a plant shipped from the southeast United States and shift out there and it hatched and you had the glassy wing sharpshooter and pierce disease. uh, Which makes growing Pinot Noir, Chardonnay and other European varietals of vinifera uh, nearly impossible actually. Uh, They get into it, they love chewing on those things. Within a decade of being spotted, the Transplant had triggered a major Pierce disease outbreak that destroyed hundreds of acres of prized vitos in Temecula Valley, which is the wine-growing region between Los Angeles and San Diego. No cure for Pierce disease. I've talked about this before. Uh, I look up complete information on Pierce disease, and there's no cure for it. It's caused by the bacterium Xylella fastidiosa. Feste- feste- that's the osa I always pronounce that wrong and it uh, it's just an epidemic it's the leaf hopper it goes through a fourth stage cycle and you can't kill it by one spray it has to be because the sprays don't affect all four cycles you can kill the Adults and the nymph, but you can't kill the eggs and the uh, dormant stage of the, of the sacs. It just, and it also hard to get the spray, it's about a half inch long. And it likes citrus orchard, uh, orchards also, which are near vineyards. So it also affects the citrus trees and stuff. So They are really, really stepping it up. It is something that is scary for California. They've been worried about it for years there. Uh, It's a sporadically infected California uh, back in the 1880s uh, when about 35,000 acres in the Los Angeles basin were wiped out. At the time, they had no idea why. These 35,000 acres died. Uh, but, yeah, you know, uh, the glass wing sharpshooters uh, is a relatively obscure parochial disease brought onto the state by Pierce disease that has really devastated it off and on. They're unable to invade Northern California's major wine growing regions uh, because, well, it, Because of the host of citrus and olives that need to be planted in favor of it, they like that too. And if they can get a foothold, whereas Napa is grapes. Sonoma is grapes. Uh, Mendocino is grapes. If you've ever been there, you're not going to see orchards of citrus or olive trees or anything else. They pretty much stay with the grapes. And because of that, you're... uh, affecting Northern California, not that it isn't, uh, well, it's warm enough and it's cold, not cold enough there on a, sh- a series of time because it's warming up, but the glassy-winged sharp sugar is now spreading to the California wine regions, Southern California wine regions, and if it were cold, it would make a difference. It's not, and it is devastating. Oh, so much for the glass wing sharps. That's a longer article. I, I read part of it, and I haven't finished it. I will do so. All right, smoke taint. The reason I want to talk about this again simply is this is a good article here about smoke taint, and I just want to highlight it. But California is already starting out with a very warm year, a very dry year. They're not getting nearly the rains that they've done. And yeah, I know. You start thinking about it and with all the acres that's burned over the last two or three years you wonder if there's any fuel left for wildfires to take hold and move themselves through the state. I good question. I don't know. There might not be. But in twenty twenty the wildfires ravaged Northern California and western Oregon and much of the west coast was blanketed in smoke. And this came on the heels of major fire events during the previous three years that have burned 3.8 million acres in California alone. Wow. Australia has suffered devastating fires in 2019 and 2020 that affected Queensland, New South Wales, South Australia, and Victoria, all wine-growing regions. Whenever there are wildfires and smoke events in wine country, a multitude of horrors are inflicted upon those who live there, and not the least of which smoke plays a major factor. Not just on the grapevines, but on the people, too. Uh, smoke on grapevines, though, is complex. Just because you have smoke doesn't mean your grace will be smoke-impacted. What uh, the growers are told is there, if there is smoke, there is a potential risk. But it's just a potential risk. Don't assume. It's very difficult to predict what the smoke is going to do. It is saying it is a complex mix of things to go from having some smoke in the vineyard to having an impact on the quality of the vine. Or on the wine, I'm sorry. You have to look at all the various factors to start to understand whether a particular closure is going to result in a problem or not. That's the problem with smoke You don't know. You don't know if it's going to affect your wine. You don't know if it's going to affect the grapes or not. And so, therefore, you just sort of, well, okay. But the effects of smoke on wine grapes can range from what's referred to as an influence or impact which can be relatively minor. These grapes can still be used to produce wine, perhaps with some corrective measures. The scale goes all the way up to smoke paint, where the wine is considered faulted. Smoke-influenced wines can smell like mesquite smoke, tar, and clove. These can range from very subtle to overt aromas. Early on, In a fermentation, smoke taint will actually smell really nice, says Brian Rudin, who's a winemaker at Canvas Back Vineyards. It can have a woodsy, resinous spice that's attractive or smells almost like Mexican chocolate, but it can become a distraction later in the wine's life and add a layer of flavor that doesn't belong, hence the problem. You start doing it at the beginning. You smell it, and it says, oh, this wine is good. I love this. This has got a nice, different aroma to it. It's very pleasant. Put it in the bottle. You send it out, and people open it up and say, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. This is, you know, it's got smoke taint in it because it doesn't just stop right there. It says aromas and smoke tainted wines can become increasingly distinctive. It's not the kind of subtle woof from a distant wood fire it's burnt salami served on an ashtray. This was a quote here from Tim Kirk who's a winemaker in Australia's Canterbury district. Uh, Caleb Foster who is a winemaker in Richland, Washington says it's like licking an ashtray or the burnt side of a cigar. I tend to get these flavors at the tip of the or the tail at the very beginning of the taste or in the finish. And neither one of them are pleasant. You don't want to taste an ashtray at the beginning of sipping a wine, or you don't want to end up with this taste in your mouth and your throat. So, smoke influence in wines occurs when trees and other vegetation burn. As much as a quarter of wood consists of a compound called lignin. That is a structural component that provides a strength and rigidity. When lignin burns, it creates airborne compounds, referred to as volatile phenols. These compounds can be transported over long distances. Ultimately, the compounds either degrade or settle on the ground. This can make it hard to determine their impact. One of the biggest questions I get is, I'm X miles away from the fire, am I safe? Says a, uh, uh expert in smoke tank. It's not about distance per se. It depends on a lot on different factors. We've had vineyards that were 100 miles away more impacted than one that was 10 miles away. So the lignin that is in the grapes will cause this. Are in the wood and the trees that will cause this. Another important factor is the freshness of the smoke. The volatile compounds that cause smoke tank can potentially degrade or drop out over time. While people see smoke and worry about its potential effects, smoke's visual presence and even the hair quality, air quality index are not necessarily reliable indicators. Particulate matter is not volatile. Volatil phenols are really, really small. They aren't even measured by particulate counters. So you can't see it, you can't measure it, you don't know what's going on. If they have an instrument that would be able to read it, they would be able to better smoke in the vineyard. Once smoke is in the vineyard, these volatile compounds can get into grapevines and leaves. Depending on the phase of the growing season, the berries where they are, how close are they being picked, and all that. Berries are like a little sponge. Smoke doesn't stay outside the skin. It actually moves inside. Once the volatile smoke compounds enter the berry, a chemical reaction takes place. This is why smoke taint is bad. When grapes are exposed to volatile smoke compounds, they absorb these compounds, and then they add sugar units to them. Okay. I mean, oh my gosh. This process Excuse me. This process is believed to be a defense mechanism rendering these compounds less harmful to the plant but also more difficult to detect. The phase in the plant's growth cycle can also make a critical difference. Uh the, the risk remains up until harvest. Earlier smoke events can still have an effect. So if it's up to seven days before following Verizon, then, you know, you may have a problem. If they are the right type of period, you have pre-Verizon exposures that can have an impact on quality of the fruit and the vine. Determining whether smoke influences present in grapes is not simply a matter of tasting them, which, again, is... Oh, my gosh, that's too bad. Tasting griefs tells you absolutely nothing. Yummy tasting griefs can be smoked. Effective with smoke taint, not lit up and smoked. Analytic testing is conducted by a commercial laboratory that examines the amount of smoke in it. And they look for 2 to 13 markers that indicate possible smoke exposure. And invariably what you're trying to do is make an assessment based on analytics of something that is pretty much at the embryonic stage. Yeah, it shows you how tough it is, how tough it is to, uh, with smoke tank and how it affects it. Uh, some of these markers are also found in toasted oak barrels. So once a wine touches oak, whether during fermentation or aging, you can't evaluate it. It, It's almost impossible to evaluate it for smoke taint. Uh, You can't tell someone your fruit is going to be tainted or your wine is going to be tainted because you, especially if it's been an oak, you can't. You can't tell it because you're picking up the oak compounds, toasted oak. Sensory evaluation involves doing bucket ferments or small-scale fermentations in advance of harvest and then tasting the fermented fruit. Uh, but you have issues with this, as with everything. There's the challenge of trying to smell and taste juice that is actively fermenting and releasing compounds that can enhance or mask smoke aromas and flavors human variables abound too. I mean, you know, one person, there's naturally a lot of genetic diversity in people and what they can smell and taste. About 20% of the population, they don't taste smoke taint at all. But that leaves 80% that do. Within that 80%, sensitivity can vary by as much as a hundredfold. Uh, a foster, who is uh, the one I read you earlier, uh, poured wine to uh, wine he knew was smoke tainted to a group of winemakers and growers, and the response was varied. Not all of them said it was tainted. Others said it was you know other compounds they were detecting and stuff like that. And so therefore you run into the situation where if you're one of those winemakers and you say oh this is great and you make it, it's just you're throwing your money away, time, effort, everything. So what can you do to fix this? Basically nothing. Once potentially smoke-impacted grapes are harvested and taken to the winery, various winemaking techniques can either limit or exuberate any possible effects. The more processing you undertake, anything that's going to extract that juice, you're going to get higher levels of releases of the compounds. Hand-harvesting decreases the risk as does excluding leaves and stems. Minimizing time that juice ferments on the skin also decreases risk. Restricting use of enzymes that enhance flavor or color. Cooler fermentations and keeping the pressed fraction separate. These are all things that can do it. Again, it's so hard to detect if it's there, so that's a lot of effort work to go into it. And if it's not tainted, then you just increase your cost. If the wine is lightly smoke influenced, winemakers can try fining agents, activated charcoal or activated carbon, or reverse osmosis. But then again, all of these approaches need to be used with caution because if you're treating something that's not infected with smoke taint, it will work, but. You know, the timing is critical when you do this, and you got to be sure it's, it's smoke-changing. If you're going to treat a wine for smoke early in its life, it is better. You have to be careful you're not pulling away all the flavors and textures and everything that make the wine what is so nice about that wine. So it is something that you you're rolling the dice on. Am I going to take a chance on this, or, you know at higher levels or later in the process winemakers may have little choice but to discard the wine even with treatment smoke tank can potentially return as the wine ages in bottles and sugar bound smoke components become liberated so what are you going to do many times smoke exposure have little or no effect on final wines this was the case in Washington's 2018 vintage when wildfire smoke filled the air for weeks during Verizon and harvest. Not only did the resulting wine seem to show little impact, <coughs> It was perhaps the state's best vintage quality in the last 20 years. Who knows? Who, who, who can predict? That's, that's, the, that's the thing about it. So what are you going to do? uh you see a little bit of smoke in there is that enough to panic and not crush your grapes uh other times the severe uh, smoke can be severe and the results can be ruinous uh, australian wineries in the 2019-2020 20, 20, 20 season the fires there the whole coast seemed to be on fire 50 to 100 kilometers away you can see the eerie red glow from these fires and testing showed levels of smoke marker compounds and grapes 10 times the amount that most people would notice and find objectable uh, in uh, a winery in New South Wales, which was 50 to 100 kilometers away from the fire. Okay, and it was 10 times the amount. Uh, A lot of wineries during the fires in Australia and in California refused to buy grapes from growers uh, during these fires became quite an issue because they have contracts with them. I will buy your grapes for this much. And then when they had these grapes that were caught with smoke, they said, I'm not going to buy your grapes. I'm not going to put the effort and cost and everything into making a wine that has a high potential of being tainted with the fires. And the growers were quite upset, understandably, because they had a whole season of growth there. And that's their cash crop. That's like growing corn for a year. And then at the end of the year, saying, well, I'm not going to use your corn here because I don't like the looks of the ears. It's just you're stuck. And that's what happened with a lot of these growers in California and Australia. They had a lot of grapes that they... End up dumping because they couldn't find buyers for them because the buyers were afraid that wineries were afraid that they were tainted, and so they didn't do it. So uh, it's it's a problem. Uh, The war is going on. Uh, President of ETS Laboratories uh, Gordon Burns, uh, located in St Helena, California, said the areas impacted are completely unprecedented. If wineries need a number for a, the purpose of insurance coverage, we can help with that. If they're trying to do analysis to make harvest decisions for this year, it's unlikely that we can satisfy that need. So that's, he came out with that mid-September. You know, ironically, later that month in September, ETS' main laboratory had to close due to wildfires in the immediate vicinity. So, you understand the problem with smoke cane. I've talked about smoke cane, getting it in. This goes into a little bit more details, a little bit more reasons why, and I thought that was very interesting, that little small microscopic things floating in the air can affect your grapes here, or they can affect it 100 miles away, which <laughs> scary stuff. All right. Yeah. So, so. Yeah. So we are we are done. Did I have something else? Let's see. Uh, was, nope, 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 nope. This won't paint. Okay. Oh, quickly here. Direct-to-consumer wines have jumped up to an all-time high It because of COVID. I mean, phew, it's a no-brainer. But the average bottle price is at a historic low. People are buying online but they're buying cheap. You know, the average price of bottles pre you know, premium luxury wines uh have dropped down in the number of sales, but the the other wines, the lower price wines have jumped up in sales. People are buying it but they're buying it in the less expensive category. Which is affecting the sales It's not are the the price per bottle, the average price per bottle. people are not buying the expensive ones, the seventy eighty dollar bottle of wines they're staying down low in the uh, twenty twenty five dollar range. The average price per bottles right around twenty dollars now, so making a difference out there. Shipping of wines is a record high, not the price. I to, so, All right. I think that's what I want yeah. to cover. Next week, we may uh, have I a guest.
0: Oh.
1: No, I just said next week we may yeah. have a guest. Mm-hmm. We'll keep you informed. Just look at our site. We'll let you know. Yeah.
0: Follow us on Twitter or on Facebook um, at All About Wine BTR on Twitter and on Facebook on the page and we'll let you know <clears throat> about upcoming shows. Uh, I did happen to look on Amazon.com and yes they are selling wine. I just looked uh, briefly at the wine uh, red selection but uh, they do have it uh, where you can select red or white wines and plus all the um, Products that go along with it. <laughs> so, um, uh,
1: did, did yes, you see anything a business about a return policy or anything? No, I
0: didn't get that
1: I just wondered if they would have. Uh, uh, I don't know because Amazon has a, a
0: food very food.
1: liberal policy mm. on returns. And, but yeah, I don't, I I don't know would...
0: about a food
1: though. I mean, yeah, if,
0: if you open a bottle and you go, "Oh, this isn't good," I don't know if they'll. They'll take it back. I mean, well I yeah. who knows. I don't they'll know. You try clothes yeah. on and send it back and, you know. Yeah, <laughs> just
1: yeah, just yeah. Like well, a, that's true. You know, you can. You know. So I don't know about wine, on. though, because, mm-hmm. you know, but if you got a case yeah. of something and it's bad, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm sure they would take yeah. the the unopened. Now, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Oh Oh, good. They do have, they are selling okay. wine out there, and I wasn't sure if they were mm-hmm. yet or not, but they are selling it okay yeah so um I'll have to see what okay. they have, for fun. so we're done for another week
0: yes, until uh may the twentieth we'll be back uh, on blog talk radio and on Facebook and uh
1: maybe I guess. Close the show check, now. check the possibly sites possibly guess yes. haven't hopefully. confirmed her yet, yes. she yes. hasn't responded, so
0: hopefully so'll um, we'll i see we'll next you next week. On, anyway. On, um,
1: Whether we can have a guest or not, come join us next week.
0: Yeah, and thank you for tuning in, and have a great week and a a good weekend. Thank you. No holidays coming up? Mm -hmm. No, nothing's happening.
1: Nothing at all is happening, I don't think. Let me see what the calendar says here. Uh, Armed Forces Day is this Friday. Tomorrow? Friday, or Saturday, I'm sorry. 15th. Oh,
0: is that the 15th?
1: Armed Forces Day is the 15th Saturday. So, uh, that's, that's yeah, the day after perfect. tomorrow. Yeah. know. Uh-huh. You know, hug, uh, hug, a, hug a, armed uh, force member. Yeah. No.
0: Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, we'll see y'all next so, week. Thank you.
1: See you next week. Thank you. Thank you.
0: This concludes tonight's broadcast of all about wine with your host, Ron for show information. Links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook. Or to be a guest on the show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwine.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash All About
1: Wine. Thank you for
0: listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time
1: on All About Wine. There we go my uh-huh. facebook people
0: but i think they're off i, think, right. I don't know uh, yeah they're off oh right. blog talk radio is still here though All right, yeah they are
1: we'll go to the dream right. by blog talk radio yeah.